Welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. And you can learn more about ancient history at ancientheroes.net. I'm here today with author Bill Hayes, who is a writer and frequent contributor to the New York Times and the author of seven books about a very wide range of subjects, including human anatomy, the science of sleep, and the history of human blood, as well as the magic of New York City. He wrote a recent book called How We Live Now, Scenes from the Pandemic. He's the author of Insomniac City, New York, Oliver Sacks, and Me. And his most recent book out this January, this month, is called Sweat, A History of Exercise. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Is there anything else you want to add to, to the introduction that, that listeners should know about you and, and your history? Thank you so much for having me. This should be a great conversation. No, I think you covered it. Yeah. I'm excited about this new book of mine, Sweat. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's awesome. I have the copy here with me. Uh, I, I just started it um, uh, recently and I, I re- I'm really enjoying it. It's really, I really appreciate the kind of writing. It's It's easy to read. It's really informative, but it's like, it's a, it's, it's easy to read. You're not sitting there struggling to, you yeah. know, it's like, I, I was making a lot of progress, even in just a short amount of time reading it because I found it very entertaining. And I just also was frankly kind of fascinated by your background and all these different subjects that you've taken on, uh, looking know. back at, you know, I interview a lot of academics and things like that. And a lot of times they have a specialty in a relatively narrow thing. And then with you, I'm looking at, just this this wide range of subjects, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm very impressed by by your work, and I, I'm sure that I'll pick up another one or two of your books here after this. Um, yeah, it's um, maybe it's a good thing that I didn't go on to grad school or become a doctor like I once dreamt of doing. I've really used my books and my work to explore things I'm interested in or curious about. Um, my first book was a, a memoir about insomnia and sleep, but also looking at the study of sleep science. I wrote a book called The Anatomist, which tells the story behind the classic 19th century text, Gray's Anatomy, which so many of us have in our homes. But one day I looked at it on my shelf and just thought, I wonder who wrote this thing? And that led me on a journey to discover the story of Henry Gray and also to spend a year studying anatomy right alongside med students and doing full cadaver dissection. So my books tend to be an interweaving of history and personal narrative. And that's certainly true of, uh, of sweat as well. And then, yeah, as you said, I'm also a photographer. So sometimes the photography gets interwoven as well, not in this case, but in some of my past books. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into talking about sweat here. Uh, sure. So I guess my first question I, I want to put out to you is what kind of, what was the series of events or the process? I know you talk about it some at the beginning of your book, but to share with the listeners, mm-hmm. uh, kind of what led you to decide to write a history of exercise? <laughs> <laughs> what did lead me to do this? There was no master plan. I mean, it is true that I already had this interest in the body in the history of medicine and science, though I had never gone to medical school. I didn't have a scientific background. And I'd always loved to work out, to exercise, to work out, to swim, ski since I was a boy. 
But um, this book, the idea for this book began appropriately enough in a gym. It was about 10 years ago. I climbed atop a Stairmaster, the old school cardio machine of choice for me. Um, I still remember punching in my program, fat burner, level 15, I think, 25 minutes, put down my water and my towel. And for some reason, Patrick, on that day, I paused and I just looked out at the floor, the gym floor, filled with men and women, uh, bench pressing, lifting weights, doing chin-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, bozy balls, yoga, all, all this different kind of kinds of exercise. And I thought to myself, how did we all end up here? How did we end up here? Yeah. And if I were to trace a line backward in time, where would I land? I really didn't know. So I got my things and I got off the Stairmaster and went to the library, public library, uh, simply thinking I'm going to find a book on the history of exercise. And guess what? I didn't. And that planted a seed. Um, I thought that could be a very interesting topic. It took me a few years to get myself, you know, get my ideas together and how I might approach this. Um, and then I spent a number of years doing original research, uh, traveling. I got a Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship that allowed me to travel and uh, start the journey. Wow. Well, so I, I one thing that caught my eye when I first opened the book was this quote from Hesiod at the very beginning, yeah, uh, which is, you know, who's an ancient Greek uh, epic poet, uh, writer, etc., um, and, it, and I'll just read it here because it just opens up the whole book. And I realized there was going to be this thread tying it into, you know, some, you know, kind of the full swing of history, but also into the ancient world as well. Oh, for um, sure. And the quote is, the immortal gods have made it so to achieve excellence, we first must sweat. And that was in Hesiod's Works and Days, which was written around 700 BC. So I guess I'm okay. So. Now that you've, you, you've decided to, to dive in and you're researching this and I mean, right. I, I guess like what was your, uh, were you just trying to figure out how did you get to a starting point? How did you trace things? Did you go chronologically or did you start with trying to find the earliest mentions of exercise or kind of what, uh, what, what was the process like from there? Well, I think my research methods are always very intuitive, um, yeah. just sort of following my gut. I, I love that part of working on books, the research. It's like doing detective work, especially for a topic that, of course, there's so many books about fitness and exercise, mm -hmm. how-to books, even books on individual forms of exercise or sports, but nothing quite like this. Um, I started with some of the kind of most well-known figures in the history of medicine, like Hippocrates in the fifth century BC. Uh, Hippocrates wrote two treatises on healthful living, which included his thoughts on exercise, diet, bathing, hygiene, matters like that. So I started with Hippocrates, um, Plato, um, Galen, a very important second century AD Roman physician who wrote a lot about healthful living. Mm. Um, and it was on that particular day, a fateful day, this was at a small library here in New York where they have a rare books room. And the librarian who brought me these books I'd ordered 
said, now you've heard of Girolamo Mercuriale, surely. And I looked up at her and said, uh, afraid not. No, I've never heard of a, how do you say his name? That's <laughs> what I was thinking too. When I was, I was like, tr- trying Mercuriale. To it. Okay. So she said, uh, well, hold on a moment. And she went to the back of the storage. She came back a few minutes later wearing white gloves mm-hmm. and holding a pristine first edition of a 1569 book called De Arte Gymnastica, The Art of Gymnastics. And it was by Girolamo Mercuriali, a physician in Rome. And it's considered the first comprehensive book on exercise. Mm. Uh, He goes through every form of exercise known at that time. So walking, running, swimming, boxing, wrestling, uh, even forms of exercise we wouldn't consider exercise, like laughing, crying, any form of movement. Of course, it didn't include things like bicycling because the bicycle wasn't invented until the 19th century. When the librarian uh, handed over this book to me, I very carefully opened it up. I happened to open it right in the middle of the book to an illustration, a woodblock engraving of two pairs of men wrestling. It was very bold and dynamic and something about it just captivated me. I swear to God, in that moment, I just thought there's going to be a story here. But then I turned the page and realized that this entire 400 page book was written in medieval Latin. Mm. And I don't know any Latin. You don't speak medieval Latin? <laughs> yeah, I don't read any Latin, but as I paged through it, I could tell that there was the word, the Latin word for exercise was appearing again and again. It just piqued my curiosity. So it took me several months, several, to find an English translation of Mercuriali's book. I had to read it and find out what he had to say. And then from there, I tracked down the translator himself a brilliant scholar in London. Um, And it started a whole journey of retracing Mercuriali's footsteps, how he came to write this book, what his life was like, um, and looking at the history of exercise as a whole, as a whole over the millennia. Interesting. And so did he, uh, did he look back to the, to kind of the Greek days and the Roman days and sort of the ancient Mediterranean as a, something that he was hearkening back to or what was his perspective on? on well, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. Very well said. Um, Mercuriali had been appointed personal physician to a very prominent and prosperous Cardinal in Rome, Cardinal Alessandro Farnese. Mm. And my impression is that Farnese was fairly young and fairly healthy. And Mercuriali who lived in the household didn't have that much he had to do. He had in this position access to the Vatican Library, which had an incredible treasure trove of ancient texts, and the Farnese Family Library. And he began, sort of like me, you know, digging around and uh, translating, deciphering, and reading ancient Greek and Roman texts on health, the body, medicine, and exercise. Mm. So, yes, he drew very much from Hippocrates, Galen, Plato, Aristotle, all these thinkers. It's, it's much more of a Western perspective. Um, written, though, very much like Hippocrates from the perspective of a doctor, uh, looking at exercise for its pros and cons, the individual forms of exercise, how they might 
cure or facilitate healing of disease or injury or the opposite when it came to something like boxing. Um, so it was very prescriptive and I think ahead of its time in that way, um, really looking at exercise as being part of what we would call preventive medicine, keeping people, yeah. keeping people healthy. But I should also say that it was, he was an, an ambitious man and a dreamer. And it was his, um, his idea to revive the ancient Greek arts of exercise. Mm. There had been this, <clears throat> excuse me, this whole culture of exercise, worshiping the body, athletic competition epitomized by the Olympic games that had vanished by the 16th century. It's completely gone except for those ruins of bath complexes and gymnasium complexes, which Mercuriali could see in Rome and one can see them today if you go to Rome. Um, so he knew that there had been this culture really celebrating and worshiping the body where exercise was key. And uh, that really started his quest. What did, um, what did you come across in, in keeping with kind of the ancient Greek elements of all this? I mean, I, I, I read in the book some about, you know, kind of the, the athlete of ancient Greece and mm -hmm. the purpose of, you know, why they perform these sports and was it men, was it only men and, uh, you know, what kind of sports and stuff like that. I mean, what did you, what was your impression about, about this time and in, in the ancient Greek world, uh, what kind of, what it meant to be an athlete or what it meant to exercise? Right. Well, I mean, in some ways you could say not that different from today in that there was a whole culture of athletics and of idealizing athletes as we do today. Um, but some huge differences. <laughs> um, while it is true that there were gymnasiums proper gymnasiums in almost every town in the Greek empire, they were only open to men and boys. So mm -hmm. women were not allowed. Women were not encouraged to exercise. And of course, women were not allowed to participate in the Olympic games or athletic games. So this was a men's only world. Um, the very word gymnastics, which is in um, the title of Mercuriali's book, Gymnastics means exercising in the nude. So they exercised at the gyms in the nude. They oiled up their bodies with olive oil and some dust to keep things less slippery, I guess. Um, and one of the most fascinating and some would say disgusting <laughs> things that I discovered, this is amazing, in antiquity, the sweat of athletes was considered a prize commodity. And after competing or even after just exercising, athletes in particular would use a tool called a strigil created expressly for the purpose of scraping the sweat and oil from the body. It was shaped kind of like a celery stalk. You can see examples. I know they're strigils at the Met Museum here in New York where I live, but you know many major museums have examples of strigils, the sweat and oil, which must've been very funky smelling, <laughs> was called gloios, G-L-O-I-O-S. And it was funneled into little ceramic pots and sold at gymnasiums, sometimes for very high prices. 
sort of the, you know, the better the athlete, the more champion, the more expensive, the Gloyos. Someone said to me the other day, this was the first like nutritional supplement or, you know, athletic supplement. But the funny thing about Gloyos is that it was not, well, they believed that it contained the essence of Arete, the the essence of the excellence of the athlete. Um, but it was not used to make you run faster or lift stronger, or become a better athlete. It was used for, to put it diplomatically, dermatological problems uh, like mm. he- hemorrhoids or warts. And they believed that it contained kind of, kind of magical healing properties. Interesting. Yeah. But there really were gyms. Um, most of them were municipal or city buildings. There was the equivalent of the gym manager and there were the equivalent of towel boys and um, the sweat collectors carrying their stridles. And there were also private gyms where people paid membership for a private gym. I had never heard, I was just getting to that part in the book and I had never heard of any of this. Yeah. Uh, uh, It's a, it's, (laughs) it's quite fascinating. I wonder, you know, did you get a sense for, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you had this age um, in, in antiquity where mm-hmm. there, you know, athletes and athleticism and exercise and all this stuff was put on this pedestal. And it was, you know, it was such a prominent part of, of life, but it sounds like uh, at some point or another, it, it faded some, or there was a change in the, in the ethos, uh, at least in, in Mediterranean or European societies. Did you get a sense of what what happened? What, yeah. what kind of, you know, yeah, this was really fascinating to me. I hadn't really thought about it, I guess, but one could say that exercise has its roots in the founding of the Olympic games, which was mm. in the eighth century BC. And I talked earlier about Hippocrates, who was a few centuries later in the fifth century. So it was very much part of the culture of the Greek and Roman empires, but with the rise of Christianity, in say the third and fourth centuries AD, there was a real shift away from the focus on the body and athletic competition and the idealization of the athlete to a focus on the soul Mm. and the spirit. And in fact, it was considered indecent if not sinful to focus too much on the body. Mm. Um, Now, A large part of this was connected to the fact that those ancient athletic games were linked to paganism, to sacrificing blood sacrifices of animals, and they were dedicated to the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods, whereas with Christianity, it's just one god. Um, So in part, it was a reaction against paganism, of which exercise and athletics were considered a part. Um, Now, this didn't happen overnight or with a single decree, although there are a few milestones. The the first Holy Roman Emperor, Constantine the Great, he outlawed gladiatorial contests. Mm. And then one of his successors completely banned the Olympic Games, and they remained banned until the 19th century. So the rise of Christianity, really, there was a real shift. Um, 
And one could say that exercise as it had been known and athletic competition really um, disappeared or in Mercuriali's words, um, it was extinct. So it was his aim to sort of bring that back. Now, keep in mind, this is the Renaissance. So there's a great interest in antiquity and classical thought, a return to thinking about the individual spirit of humanism. So his interest in ancient Greek and Roman thinkers and philosophers makes sense in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, I wonder, um, I don't know how much you touch on this in the book or not, but is there, uh, did you look at like uh, Egypt or any of this other surrounding kind of cultures and weather? I mean, I'm just, it's, it's, you know, you think of, I don't, is exercise something that is some kind of universal, I mean, in some ways, human movement and doing stuff and, and, you know, is universal, but the kind of recreational and sporting aspects of it did you look at uh other civilizations and kind of what you know um yeah yeah i did i mean i focused more on western civilization but certainly in india egypt china going back millennia really to the same periods there were physicians and thinkers advocating the benefits of exercise Mm. In virtually the same terms, there was a revered Indian physician named Susruta who advocated exercise to maintain equilibrium in the body. Um, In Egypt, there was also a kind of culture of athletic competitions. um, And even the pharaoh, whether male or female, would participate in yearly runs, you know, running almost like running races to prove his or her worth to the gods. Mm. My sense was, especially looking at the writings of Hippocrates or Galen, who really wrote about exercise, they had a very good intuitive understanding that exercise is good for you, body, mind, and soul. Um, They preached, generally, they preached uh, moderation, don't overdo it, don't injure yourself, work it into your daily life, and mix it up. Um, it was Hippocrates who said, eating alone will not keep a man well. He must also take exercise. For food and exercise, while possessing opposite qualities, yet work together to produce health. Mm. And they defined exercise as something distinct from sports or athletics, um, it had to um, include vigorous movement, an increase in breathing, and to have a kind of aim or intention to improve your health. Now, one thing we should emphasize is that although they had this intuitive, kind of sensible understanding of the benefits of exercise, they did not yet know how the human body actually worked. So for 14 centuries, there was a belief in the four humors and that the body, it, the body was composed of four kind of liquid humors, mm. blood, phlegm, black bile, yellow bile, and that they had to be kept in balance. Mm. And that if one of the humors was thrown out of balance, that put you into a state of distemper leading to illness. And it's from the four humors that we got pretty crazy primitive treatments like bloodletting and, and purging. Um, 
part of the reason they had this belief went on so long is that they were not allowed to dissect human cadavers. So they really couldn't see how the human body actually works. And it wasn't until William Harvey's discovery, discovery is not too strong a word, discovery of the circulation of the blood by the beat of the heart in the 17th century, that really opened up the gates to understanding how the body works. There were a lot other discoveries, discoveries around that time as well, um, and why exercise would actually be beneficial. Interesting. So, well, and, and based on your answer, it sounds like there's, there's always been some kind of, or I mean, going back to at least antiquity, there wasn't under, you know, I was thinking to myself, maybe they didn't need to do daily exercise because they, they walked around more than we do and their diet was better and they didn't have, you know, they weren't eating as much junk food and whatever, but it sounds like they still, they still understood there was a need for this and were interested in this. Yeah. And not only for the physical body, but um, I think this is really fascinating an intuitive understanding that it's good for your mental health as well. Um, There's a great quote from Galen, the Roman physician who said, um, in my opinion, the best exercises of all are those which are able not only to exert the body, but also delight the soul. And so I, I love that. I think it's, something we should remember today that you don't work out, you don't sweat only to burn calories or uh, just to do it for the day, but it should be enjoyable. It should be a chance to enjoy, to test the limits of what you can do with your physical body and delight the soul, something you should enjoy. Well, and I should say the one thing that caught my attention was that the, the, I think the first scene of the book is you're doing uh, some kind of cold plunge swimming type of thing and uh you know i'm kind of curious about wim hof and some of the different stuff around uh uh cold therapy different things like that so um can you tell me uh is that something you you do a lot of what what is that all about (laughs) (laughs) no it's not um somehow i thought it'd be an appropriate way to open the book the book opens with um me plunging into a freezing cold mountain lake. It was October in the Adirondacks. And I was at an artist residency that was set on a beautiful lake. It's a beautiful fall day. And here's this lake. And um, I just thought, I got to see what this feels like. (laughs) And it took me a few minutes to gather my nerve, but I plunged in and swam as far as I could without, you know, (laughs) freezing and uh, without thinking about anything else and then turned around and got back on the dock. And I remember there were other people on the dock and they basically, they said, why the hell would you do that? (laughs) It's October. (laughs) The water is 50 degrees. And I said, because I, because I can, Yeah, you know, because I'm a human, I'm healthy, I'm able, I wanted to see what it felt like. Yeah. Um, it was so invigorating. I mean, my blood, my muscles, my nerves, everything just stimulated. Um, no, it's not something I do commonly, though I do. When I've had chances, I've, I've done that. I enjoy that. And I love to swim. But um, yeah, so it kind of opens, the book opens with this almost like um, slowing down a film, like a moment by moment by moment, sensation by sensation experience of plunging into a freezing lake and swimming 
which is one of my favorite exercises. Yeah. And I've heard it's, I've done a little bit, I've never done that, but I've done some ice baths and things. I've started to get into to that. And I've heard there's these incredible uh, benefits. It is kind of a, a very powerful experience. And, uh, and even an ice bath is uh, much less what you're talking about. So did you, when you were researching this book, I I noticed in the book, it kind of like there's certain parts on different sort of fundamental uh, exercises or activities like swimming, running. I mean, is that kind of, uh, you know, there's one part about, uh, I guess, combat or sword fighting that goes all the way back to, you know, Homer and Achilles and, and all of that. I mean, did you... Is, is, is that part of the approach that you took of, of looking at each one of these strands or, you know, cause like something yeah. like running is so fundamental. Humans must've been running since the beginning of time, but you know, then, it, then you start branching out into other things that, you know, today's sports, you know, are relatively new. So right. um, can you just talk a little right. bit about how you thought about that and some of these different activities? Yeah. I mean, one thing I decided from the beginning was that I was less interested in recent fads and trends Mm. in exercise, partly because they just change so constantly. There's always something new you can try. And I felt like I'm never going to be able to catch up. You know, the book will very quickly become dated. And, you know, on another level, I just wanted to learn about things that I didn't know about, you know, before, before I grew up, I grew up in the seventies or so. Um, And I also knew that though I wanted to trace the evolution of exercise over the millennia, that it would be fun to sort of bring it to life by experiencing it myself and describing it. Um, And really with real intention, um, describing walking, running, swimming, boxing in one memorable chapter, um, yoga, Um, I became a certified personal fitness trainer in the course of doing research for the book, not really because I thought I'd be a fitness trainer, but I wanted to know what they had to go through. And I learned a lot. Um, Bicycling. Certainly there are some forms of exercise I don't write about. I just couldn't get to every single form. Um, But um, I also used Mercuriali as my guide. He was kind of my spirit guide for this book. Mm. So um, since he wrote about walking, running, swimming, boxing, um, I had to write about those things as well. Did his, uh, did his dream of come to fruition of re-sparking some of the stuff from the ancient times... Uh, I'm afraid not. It is true that his book went through something like five editions in his lifetime. I think people bought it. It was a beautiful book. As I said, it was illustrated. And the story of the illustrator comes into the narrative as well. He has his own crazy story, Piero Ligorio. Um, So I think it sold fairly well. Mercurielli was well known and he wrote other books. He was one of the first to write a book on dermatology, um, all kinds of subjects, um, obstetrics, other things. But sadly, no, he didn't revive globally the ancient arts of exercise. Um, That really doesn't begin to happen in the way that he envisioned until the 19th century. Mm. And the way I see it, there were a number of cultural forces that came together to influence why that really began to change. 
perhaps one of the most important was the effects of the industrial revolution where there was this really global concern or fear that people were becoming too sedentary in the move to put it simplistically from the farm to the factory. Mm. And there was a real movement to get people exercising. And for the first time that included women too, women and girls. Um, this also intersects with the rise of the women's rights movement and suffragette movement and emancipation for women. Um, one of my very favorite quotes in the whole book is um, from Susan B. Anthony, the suffragette and women's rights activist, Susan B. Anthony. And she's talking about the bicycle. The bicycle was invented in the 19th century. I was surprised it took as long as it did to perfect the bicycle as we know it today. It took about 75 years, actually, mm. going through all different variations. But finally, by the 1890s, they had come up with um, a bicycle very similar to what we see today. And someone had the brilliant idea, I'm really hoping it was a woman, to remove the horizontal bar between the seat and the handlebars so that women in their skirts or dresses could more easily mount a bike. And Susan B. Anthony said, <clears throat> the bicycle has done more for the emancipation of women than anything else in the world. It gives women a feeling of freedom and self-reliance. I stand and rejoice every time I see a woman ride by on a wheel, the picture of free untrammeled womanhood. Wow. So it's really interesting to see, to look at exercise as sort of a cultural story as well, and how something like the bicycle really could have an impact on women's freedom and autonomy. You know, it was not only a form of transportation they could use, but of recreation and exercise and a chance to exercise muscles that they might not otherwise have had the chance to, to use. Yeah. Wow. I really had never heard of that connection uh, until, until today. So I'll remind listeners that we're talking to Bill Hayes about his brand new book, Sweat, A History of Exercise. Um, so I think that, uh, uh, you know, I only have one or two more questions for you here. And I think the, on the big picture is how did this change your perspective on <clears throat> exercise? It sounds like you are already someone who has exercised throughout your life and you already kind of had, it wasn't new to you doing a lot of these things, but right. looking back at the history of humanity was maybe. So what, how did this kind of change your perspective now when you look around the, the gym or whatever, uh, <laughs> you know, do you feel a connection to the ancient days and kind I of, yeah, I do, I do. I definitely do. It gave me such a deep appreciation for this rich history that also reflects the culture and history of these different periods of time. Um, even those periods when exercise was really not elevated. Um, so yeah, I do feel a connection um, and a, a definitely a great deal of respect for those ancient thinkers and physicians who had a pretty sensible understanding of exercise, one that holds true today. You know, work, work exercise into your daily life, keep it moderate, mix it up. Um, Hippocrates said something like, if you get tired of running, wrestle. If you get tired of wrestling, run. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of like a CrossFit almost philosophy. Just mix it up, mix it up. 
Yeah. And it's kind of amazing to me how the, the science of exercise and fitness and some of these things is still, you know, it's still in flux. It's still changing so much. Um, you know, uh, two of my brothers, I have two brothers. They're both personal trainers, oh, wow. both, you know, getting into that field and they've been certified and they're doing quite well in it. Um, but you know, um, it's still, you know, uh, a lot of people are still have a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of myths and different things. And it's, it's, uh, it's very much a field still, despite thousands of years of people doing this stuff that yeah. the science is still catching up, I guess. Yeah. And you're right. There's so many misconceptions. So many people, when I talk to about this book say, I thought exercise was just a modern phenomenon, you know, 20th century phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but in fact, it goes back to, you know, several millennia. And one of the most fertile times really was the 19th century when um, there was a global interest in what was called physical, physical culture, mm. where women were encouraged to exercise for the first time, as well as children. PE classes were introduced. Um, women were trained to be PE instructors. There's a new kind of freedom that comes also with an, a better and better understanding of the workings of the human body. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, working on the book certainly made me appreciate these different forms of exercise. Um, and it's amazing to me that, as you said, you know, research on exercise is still a relatively new field. Uh, indisputable scientific evidence for the benefits of exercise didn't come really until the 1950s, hmm. even though Hippocrates sort of had it right, but indisputable evidence didn't come until the 1950s. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, there's still, still lots to learn. Well, and, and another thing that, that I, I liked about the book so far is just kind of, you know, you, you touch on some of these different individuals, Susan B. Anthony, Albert Einstein, Socrates, you know, kind of like these larger than life figures throughout history right? and their own relationship to exercise and the meaning it had on them. And that's something that, you know, you don't think about Albert Einstein hopping off a bike or getting out of the pool or whatever. And then, you know, it's like, you, you don't think about the meaning that this has had in people's lives that may have contributed in one way or another to what they accomplished. Definitely. There's that famous photo that most of you will know of Albert Einstein on a bike. I'd mm. seen that hundreds and hundreds of times. And one day it popped up in the newspaper and I tore it out and pinned it above my desk and just began thinking, you know, he doesn't look like he was a great athlete, but he also doesn't look like he never exercised. Right. Here he is on a bike. So I went through three or four biographies of Einstein trying to find out if he bicycled regularly, if he, if the bike was his and that sort of thing. Um, I didn't find an answer to that question, but I did learn that he loved to sail, mm. which suggested to me that he must've known how to swim. So just envisioning Einstein swimming and thinking medita meditatively while he swam, I could just picture it. And yeah. yeah, other figures, Marie Curie loved to hike and to bicycle. Um, mm. Tolstoy, also a bicyclist, um, and walking was very popular. Freud loved to uh, take long walks and to hike in the mountains. Well, uh, I'm happy that you wrote this book. It's kind of incredible that you have this, you've touched on, you know, you found something that's this universal thing that <clears throat> no one had thought 
to write about, at least in modern times, in the way that you have. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm I'm assuming it's available on Amazon and anywhere yep. books are sold and that kind of thing. Anywhere uh, books are sold. Yep. Okay, great. It's called Sweat, A History of Exercise. Is there anywhere that you want to point listeners to uh, your website or anything like that? To Yeah, to- yeah. I, I do have a website where you can get information on all of my books and events coming up. I'm doing an event, a virtual event on the 21st out of Portland with mm-hmm. Allison Bechtel. Uh, my website is simply billhayes.com, H-A-Y-E-S. And then I'm on Instagram as Bill Hayes Photography. I'm also a photographer and on Twitter. So come follow. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. Like I said, I'm I'm loving the book so far. I'm awesome. I always finish books I like really fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'll I'll finish it soon. And um, I I really recommend it. Uh, it's great. So thanks for talking to us today. And, uh, and we will be in touch uh, and yes. hopefully we'll talk again someday. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thank you to Derek Feischer for composing the music used in this episode. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. Thanks for listening.